Well, welcome again back to our series, Asking for a Friend. Uh, we'll get into that in just a moment, but as always, I'd love to look in the camera and welcome everybody who's joining with us online, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, or online campus, our East Campus as well, uh, wherever you are. Uh, come on, church, would you welcome everyone that's joining with us right now? We love you guys. Glad you're along for, for the ride. Um, hey, I told you last week that I was going to give you a couple of quick announcements about construction, particularly that's pertaining here, obviously, to our university campus. Um, as you can tell, we're making some major progress the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to give you a date. You can put it on your notes, whatever the case is, and we're going to, Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to hold on to this, and here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, you're going to hear more about this in the, days, in the days leading, but November the 6th, November the 6th, will be our official grand opening to our new One Life Kids area here on our university campus. Aren't you excited about that, parents? No more walking around crazy. We have more space. I'm telling you, um, this will be some of the best kids space in all the East Valley for your kids, for your preschoolers. Couldn't be more excited about these spaces um, that help us reach more people, more people for Jesus. Um, and so thank you for your amazing and your continued generosity. And I'm telling you all of that because November 6th is when we launch our favorite series of the year at the movies, um, which is by far our most attended series throughout the entire, the entire year. Um, and so you're gonna be inviting a bunch more guests, but that night, November 6th, we're gonna have an open house where you'll be able to see all of the spaces, uh, the new cafe that will be done by then. It's gonna be an incredible, incredible time, November the 6th, and you'll hear more, you'll hear more about that. Um, okay, um, I want you to get your sermon notes out today. You're gonna wanna take some notes for this incredible talk. This is week four of a five-week series. And in order, just thinking through this topic, so every Easter we ask you a question. If you could hear a message on what the Bible says about anything, what would you want to hear a message on? And we talked about toxic relationships. Uh, we talked about uh, last week um, I'm, I'm parenting and kids. I'm drawing a blank. Um, parenting and kids. And today, um, I'm really excited about this envy and comparison, something that all of us, all of us deal with. And I couldn't think of a better person um, to bring this message than my good friend, my coach, my pastor, um, Pastor Scott Wrightout. Um, he has been with us many, many times, over a dozen times since I've become the lead pastor here. Um, I love him. You love him. Um, he has a word from the Lord today. So would you put your hands together, church, and would you welcome back to our stage, Pastor Scott Wrightout. be back with you uh, again. I love coming here, and I love, uh, I love your pastor and his family, and uh, man, it's just so good to see what God is doing in this place, what God is doing through you. I know, uh, I know you've opened up another campus over in the east, uh, part, of the part of the East Valley, East Mark area, and God is doing uh, great things. And I know this is a place of faith because your pastor just put a date on a construction. You know, so that's got to be a place of faith, because that just doesn't, in 2022, that just doesn't happen. So man, have that great faith. I hope it all works for you, and I'm sure that no matter what, God's going to be glorified in how you respond uh, to this next season, and can't wait to see what God's going to do with, with all this stuff. It's just a tool, but it's an amazing tool for our kids and the next generation, and that's what I love about, love, love about One Life, is you guys are all about the next generation, about people who aren't here yet, people who need to meet, know, and follow Jesus, and so again, thanks, Jared, for the opportunity to be here uh, this morning. We are in a series called Asking for a Friend, and we've talked about toxic relationships and mental health and, and kids. And he, he told you what I'm talking about today, but b before I, I talk much about it, I'm going to go old school with you. 
I'm going to go old school. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go back to the first king of Israel. Does anyone know his name, by the way? Saul. Saul was the first king of, of Israel, and Saul was the first king. And Saul had everything on the outside a king was supposed to have. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He was a, a head taller than anyone else in, in Israel. Uh, he was smart and savvy. He was strong. He had all this good stuff on the, on the outside. And yet there's a, a verse in the story of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 that, that kind of gives us the clue that things aren't exactly the way they're supposed to be. It says this, the, the Lord, and this is God talking, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. <laughs> aren't you glad? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. They, they look at what's on the outside, tall, dark, and handsome. They, they look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The Lord looks at, at the heart. There's, there's something else going on. And for a season, Saul is doing great. I mean, he's, he's following the Lord. He's doing what God asked him to do. But, but then pride starts to well up in him. And then and the fear starts to well up in him. And he, he starts to self-preserve and self-promote. And, and he, he, just, he, just, he goes the wrong way. He just kind of forgets about God. And there's the verse. It's the most terrifying verse, I think, in this whole story where it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from him. Could you imagine that God's there one minute and he's just, he's just gone? The Spirit of the Lord departed from, from him. And everything begins to, to fall apart. Now, to give you some background, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. But I want to give you some background to, to this story we're about to, about to read. Um, back then, uh, there were lots of enemies of Israel. But during this time, the, the main enemy was a group called the, the Philistines. Philistia was a, a part of it, what modern-day Israel is just down near the sea. They had lots of boats, and they were, had a great, massive army. And, and the way that, that, that countries would fight each other, sometimes the armies would fight, but then everyone was killed, and what do you have to you know, gain from that? So they would send their champions out against each other. And it, it, was, it was one champion against the mother, mano y mano. And they would, they would fight that way. And if one champion won, the, the country won. If the other champion won, that country won. And, and the champion of the Philistines was this guy named Goliath. Anyone ever heard this name? Goliath. Goliath was, he was taller than anyone around, way taller than Saul. Uh, he was a massive warrior, undefeated in every single way. And so what would happen is Israel would be on this side of the valley and Philistia would be on this side of the valley and Goliath would come down in the middle of the valley and he would double dog dare. He would, he would say, listen, I, I dare any one of you from Israel to come down and face me mano y mano. Bring it on. You can't handle me. You go, bring it on. And he would do it again and again and again and again and again. Now, the thing is, Israel did have a champion. The champion was King Saul. But King Saul knew that the Lord had departed from him. He's like, I'm not going out there. The Lord's not with me. I, I can't beat this guy. Look at the size of that guy. He's terrified. So he, he will not go out to the battlefield. So day in and day out, Goliath comes out, dares them, taunts them, and, and, and just goes over and over and over again. Now, behind the scenes, there's something else going on. Saul can't sleep. He, he can't focus at all. And he's like, I, 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 I can't do anything. Goes to his, his team and says, listen, my, my Spotify, my Pandora, it's just not working for me. I just, I don't have the right playlist for me. I need someone to help me sleep. Do you, you guys know anybody? And guy says, I, I know a guy. He's, he's actually, a, he's a teenager and he's a shepherd boy, but he's, he's pretty good on the, on the lyre. Lyre's like a little, a little harp. And it, I, I think he might help you out. And, and this young man's name was, was David. And so David comes in and he plays his little lyre for, for Saul and, and, and the Lord is with David at this point in time. And, and Saul actually gets to sleep. He gets, he gets calmed down. He's like, I, I like this kid. 
In fact, I like him so much, I'm going to make him one of my armor bearers, one that helps me put my armor on when I go to battle. Not that Saul's ever going to go to battle because Goliath is out there, but he's, he's, I'm going to make him an armor bearer. He just tries to keep him around. And he would, he would call for David over and over and over. But one day he calls for, calls for David, and David's coming in. He's bringing some food for his brothers who are on the front lines of the battle, and, and that's when it happens. He, he's out there on the battle lines with, with his people of Israel, the, the army of Israel, and Goliath comes walking down in the valley. And he, and he double-dog dares them to come and bring it on, right? And this little scrawny teenager looks over and says, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dare taunt the armies of the living God? Amen. And his older brother looks at him and says, shut up, runt. You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, he's like, what did I do? What did I do? You know, he's, he's just a little brother. But, but Saul hears about this because David goes around and says, what will be done for the guy who, who kills this giant? And Saul hears about it and Saul's like, well, I'm not going I'm not doing it. I'll send this kid into battle before I go into battle. And so he grabs David and he, and he puts his armor on David. Well, Saul's like six foot six and, 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 and David's like no foot six. And you know, so there, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. And he's like, it, it won't fit. I can't, I can't move around in this stuff. I don't, I don't need this stuff anyway. He says, the, the Lord is with, with me. And listen, I've been a shepherd for a long time and the lion came and I took care of the lion. The bear came. I took care of the, the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will, will be no, no different than the lion or the bear. He's like, all right, kid, if that's what you want. And he goes out into, and people know this story. Hopefully you, you remember this from Sunday school. If you grew up in church, if you don't, it's a new story. You ought to read it, read your Bible. But he goes out there with, with five smooth stones and a sling. And he stands before the giant and he's whipping it around. The giant's got swords and shields and all that sort of stuff. And, and he throws the rock and it, and it hits him right in the head and it sinks into his head. And the giant goes down and David grabs his sword and cuts off his head and brings it back to Saul. He's like, I told you, God, God's with me, I told you. Amen. And Saul's thinking, this is awesome. This is amazing. He starts putting David in charge of a whole bunch of things and, and David is successful and he's like, this is a really, really good thing. Amen. At least it is in the beginning. Let's pick it up in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's start in verse five. Here's what it says. It says, when the mission, the, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was successful so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. So he's got a teenager like a general in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. They're, they're taking territory from the Philistines. This is the first time in a long time they're winning their battles. And he's like, this is awesome. David looks good. And because David looks good, I look good. This is a win-win scenario. This is a good thing. It goes on and it says this, when, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. He comes back to a parade. It's awesome. It's, it's amazing. And he's like, finally, I'm getting the, the props I deserve as the king. Bring it on. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I know. I deserve all this. Keep coming. Keep coming. You know, this is great. Isn't it great? I'm great, right? You know, he's, he's enjoying all this. Then it happens. They finish their song. Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. <laughs> and something inside of Saul snaps. Wait a minute. I've been at this for years. He's been there like two weeks. And they're giving him credit? 
This is the thanks I get. I found him, sort of. I set him up. I made sure he could win. This is the thanks that I get? Really? There's something inside of Saul that's in all of us. Something gets kind of cranked when someone else gets credit or praise or promo or whatever that we think we deserve or we wish that we that we had. There's, there's something happening in the heart of, of Saul that he's now comparing himself to David, comparing what people are saying about him to what they're saying about David. Now, if you know the history of Israel, you know that Saul's the first king. The second king is actually David, who we're talking about. The third king is a guy named Solomon. Solomon is considered the wisest man who ever, ever lived. The Bible says that he was, he was that way. And, uh, and Solomon, uh, later on in his life, he, he wrote something called Proverbs. And if you have never read Proverbs, there's 31 of them. You could read one every day in October. You make it all the way through the book of Proverbs. You could say you read a book in October, okay? You could do this. And in Proverbs, it says this. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon has some wisdom to give to us. Here's, here's what it says. Above all else, above all else, I mean, it's pretty important. Above, above everything else you're thinking, above all else, what? Guard your heart. Remember what God said before? People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, the heart. Above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Your actions come from your heart. What's inside always comes. It comes out. It comes out. Now, a seed has been planted in the heart of Saul, and now it's, it's full grown and instant. As soon as he hears about thousands versus tens of thousands. And it drives him crazy, and, and he doesn't know what to, what to do about this scrawny, glory-stealing, life-draining leech named David. The seed that was planted was, was envy. Ever been there? Envy. Let me give you a definition, definition of envy. Envy is the greed for another person's life and the loss of gratitude, joy, and contentment. In, in our own. It's the greed for another person's life and the loss of gratitude and joy and contentment for our, our own. Let me give you another definition. It's the jealousy of God's blessing of someone else's possessions or positions or person or fortune or achievement or success. It drives us crazy when others are doing well, when others are, are doing well. And we start to compare and not just compare, we start to covet. I wish I was him. I wish I was her. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Why don't I have that? Envy's powerful, isn't it? En envy is, is, is powerful, you know? And sometimes it's so subtle. My oldest son, John, uh, is, he's four years older than his brother, David. And you guys uh, here at One Life know David. Uh, and John was an unbelievable athlete from the time he was, he was very, very little. By the time he was six years old, he had this dream of playing college football. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play college football one day. And he worked really, really hard. Now, he had some things going for him. John runs a 4-4-40, if you know what that is. It's a, he's pretty fast. He's unbelievably strong. He can leap out of the building. He's got all these things going for him. And sure enough, he finished up at Gilbert High School, went to Scottsdale Community College, got a scholarship to a four-year college and played until he graduated. He did a great job. He loved his college career. He, he loved this, this dream. He fulfilled it. But while he was in college, his, his little brother was, was growing up. And by the time he was a senior in college, his brother was a senior in high school, and his little brother was four inches taller than him. 
And, and John, he loved his college career, but one day he came to me and said, Dad, you understand that I would be an NFL prospect if I had his height. You know what that's called? It's called envy. Envy. He, he, he had his dream. He did everything he wanted to do. And by the way, we all do it. He had his dream, but, but he saw something else. It's like, ah, oh, if I had that, if I only. And we st he started playing the if only game. Don't you ever do that? If, if only. If only. See, because awareness breeds discontent. Awareness breeds discontent. Write this down. A awareness breeds discontent. Every time we, we're happy with our life, and then we see someone else who has something nicer than us, we want it. We're, we're happy with our family, and then we see someone else who's got a bigger family, and we want it. <laughs> We're happy with, with uh, everything in life, but it has a better job. We, we want it. We just, we just go after it. It's like, why, why, why don't I have that? We start questioning. If, if only, if only I was taller, if only I was smarter, if only I had all the advantages that they had. If only, if only, if only, if only. It's all breeded from, from envy. It's all breeded from, from envy. We start to compare. That's how we get envious. There's never a time that we've compared more in this country, is there? I mean, advertising, you know what advertising is? It's, it's creating discontent in us for the things we don't have. That's what advertising is all about. And so we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even know. That's, that's what we do. We do that. And, and you know, we, we look at these uh, fix-it-up shows, and we're all about Magnolia, you know, but, but hey, you know, we were happy with our house till we watched that show. Thank you, <laughs> Joanna. Thank you so much. I loved my house, and I saw this, and like, well, someone else has got it. I got to have it. It's not just greed. It's, it's envy. It's like, okay, I wish I was them, right? And then there's social media. Don't even get me started on social media. All right, that's, a, that's an envy fest right there. That's just, a, that's just an envy, envy fest. It's like, you know, I, mean, I have a friend. He's another pastor, and he's the same age as me, and I keep seeing he and his wife going on trips to Europe and the beach and this, and they're all smiley face, and I hate them. I just like... Man, does he ever work? I mean, you know, come on. You know, my, my 40th high school reunion was last week, 40 years later, yeah, last week. And I found myself going on, on, on social media, looking up my old high school, you know, classmates and doing what? I wonder if I'm doing better than they are. Now, I only went to that school for three years. I only lived in that town for three years, but I, I'm like, okay, Envy's... Envy's pretty powerful. I have a business friend who, who just, he's doing really well, in really well in business and he's all over social media and it's like you kind of roll your eyes because he's doing so well. You know what that is? It's envy. It's, it's envy. The Bible has a lot to say about envy a, a, as well. Here's what it says in Proverbs 27.4. It says, anger is cruel and fury is overwhelming, but who can stand before envy? I mean, anger, that, that's, that's a hard, hard thing. And, and fury, man, it just kind of takes you. But, but envy sweeps you off your feet. It knocks you down. Who can stand before envy? Or how about this verse from James? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or to deny the truth. Such wisdom, wisdom, talking about ambition and envy, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. How about this word? Demonic. It's from the devil. That's what it means. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, not just disorder out there, but disorder in here, and every evil 
practice. This is my favorite verse. The next one. I love this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I mean, not only is it emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally hard on you, it's physically hard on you. Have you ever lost sleep because you didn't have something that someone else had? Someone else got the promotion. Someone else got the, the, the nice house. Someone else has more money. Someone else, and you just kind of lose sleep. You're over, over worried. Why don't I have that kind of stuff? That's envy. And it's rotting you from the inside out. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to look at four symptoms in the story of Saul Four symptoms that we have envy. And by the way, let me tell you, let me give you a secret. You have it. So do I. All right. We, we have it. And then we'll talk about solutions because I hate just talking about the bad side of things. Let's get, we're going to end up in a good place. All right. So let's just talk about it, though. We see this in the, in the story. And I think we, we see all these symptoms in ourselves as well. Let's pick it up in verse 8. It says this. Uh, so remember, this is after the Saul had killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And he says this. Saul was very angry. This refrain, this song, displeased him greatly. And he says to himself, they have created, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. And but me with only thousands. Symptom number one. Symptom number one, envy cannot stand it when others are doing better than you. Envy cannot stand it when others are doing better than, than you. Uh, envy is disturbed at the success and happiness of of another. Uh, envy thinks that their good fortune means bad fortune for me, and it causes all sorts of emotions. You can be mad, sca- sad, or scared, it doesn't matter, but you, but you have all these emotions about envy. And you start playing this, this syndrome of keeping up with the Joneses. You, you ever play keeping up with Joneses? The Joneses are the family across the street, or maybe it's the coworker across the cubicle. And here's how it goes you're happy with what you have. But then the Joneses get something and you're thinking, I gotta have that. And you, you have to get it too. But it's gotta be a little bit better than theirs. You know, you kinda up it. So, so you, you start this competition with the neighbors across the street. They get a bigger house, you get a bigger house. They get a bigger truck, you get a bigger truck. They get a bigger car, you get a bigger car. They get a bigger family, you get a bigger family. You get a bigger spouse, you get a bigger spouse. I mean, it's just, it just goes, it just goes, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And we, we have this, this, this syndrome, this keeping up with the Joneses syndrome that, that just drives us nuts. Envy drives competition, but it drains compassion. You don't feel about people the way you used to, used to feel about it. It depletes resources, time and money and emotion and energy and even, even life. I don't have the energy to live the life. I'm so focused on their life, I can't even live my own. It gets us this way sometimes. It breeds dissatisfaction and trust, distrust. It, it kills connection and commitment. It, it, rots, it rots the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? There's a verse in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says this. When you live in the Spirit, there's, there's things you see in this person. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Envy rots those things. And then the fruit just no longer tastes any good. We're not experiencing all the things that God has for us because of what envy is doing in us. Envy diminishes love because what envy does, envy, envy makes us think, okay, well, well, I can't care about them. You can't, you can't care and compare. You can't care and compare. Because when you compare, it's no longer about the person. It's only about the stuff the person has or the position the person has or the things the person has. And, and all you care about is, is that. You don't care about the soul. You only care about the goal. I want to have what they have. 
and you can't care about them. It's possible to care when you, when you compare. And the funniest thing about envy is that when they fail, when they falter, we celebrate. We, we, we love it when other people don't do well, especially the ones we're envying. I'm just going to prove it. I'm going to go to the sports world so, to be not very, very um, uh, personal, but some of you take this personal. Have you ever noticed there's teams in most sports that everyone roots against? Yeah. <laughs> New England Patriots, <laughs> New York Yankees, Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, why, why do we root against them? Because they're always good. And we're... And we're envious. Now, the good news is we live in Arizona. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> if, we, if we ever make it back to the Super Bowl, praise God, you know, it's a, it's a miracle, you know. So we don't worry about that here. But it's, it's just a, it's an example of, of envy in our, in, our, in our lives. And yet, it's not just in sports, is it? We're envious of other people because of their career path because their marriage just seems better than ours, because their friendships are stronger, because their kids are more well-behaved and they get scholarships and we gotta pay our kids, you know, kids have to pay. Just, we, we get so upset. We get so upset in those, in those things. Symptom number one, envy, envy cannot stand when others are doing better than you. Go on to the next verse and it says this. What more can you get but the kingdom? What more can he get but the kingdom? So remember, he's you know, it's thousands versus tens of thousands, and boy, everyone's going to him. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He doesn't trust him anymore. What has David done wrong? Answer? Nothing. This is all in his heart. This is all in Saul's heart. He makes a leap in logic, and he thinks to himself, well, you know, if they're giving him praise, he had not wrong, we can give him praise. What else did he need? All he needs now is just to just crown him king. Just, he's got the kingdom. There's even a story right before this of his son, Jonathan. Saul's son, Jonathan, is, is becoming friends with David, and, and, and Jonathan takes his robe off and gives it to David, and he's kind of saying, Jonathan says, listen, David, I, I know that God's blessed you. I know God's with you, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna support whatever God does in your life. And there's this, this covenant between the two of them, a friendship covenant, it's unbelievable. And Saul's thinking, really? I mean, you, you realize you're next in line to be king and, and you don't wanna do that. And now you're, you're undermining me. And he gets all upset. Symptom number two, envy puts an adversarial posture, adversarial posture toward others. See, so what Saul's doing here is it's called overcomplicating. He's overcomplicating. It's a, it's a, it's a psycho, psychological term. It means, listen, I'm going to tie a whole bunch of things together that aren't really tied together. In Saul's case, it was they're singing this song about David, and, and my son uh, he likes David, and so they must be all against me. Ever done that? Ever done You, you think, well, this, this happened over here, and that happened over here, and that happened over here, and you're like, they must all be related, and everyone's conspiring against me, and you start spiraling down emotionally because you think, yeah, the whole world's against me. This is what Saul is, is, is doing. He has an adversarial posture toward David. And, and here's where it comes from. It comes from what I call a scarcity mindset. You think in your head, okay, well, he's blessing my neighbor. He's blessing my coworker. He's blessing this other person. He's blessing David versus me. God doesn't have enough resources to bless both of us. How stupid is that? I mean, he, can't, he can't possibly have the resources to bless both of us. And we have this scarcity mindset. 
It goes on, the next verse, it says this, the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul and he was prophesying in his house. And let me just say this, the evil spirit, uh, that word evil also means distressing. Um, it's not saying that God's sending evil things toward, uh, toward Saul. It just means that there's, there's a distressing thing or it could be that God just stepped out of the way and allowed Satan to, te to test and tempt, uh, to tempt Saul. He says he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. So it's back to business as usual. David's back soothing Saul. At least he's, he's trying to soothe Saul in the position he's given because David doesn't know anything's wrong. He doesn't know anything's wrong. And it says this, Saul had a spear in his hand. Clue number one, <laughs> things are not right. Saul has a spear in his hand and he hurled it. And he's saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. You see what's happening? He says, I'll pin David to the wall. Now, here's the part I don't get understand. But David eluded him. How many times? David's not that smart. Twice. He threw a spear at you, and you came back to work. It's time for another job. I mean, you don't, you don't, listen, if your boss throws a spear at you, get another job, all right? Just don't, don't come back to work. But David is like, he doesn't know anything's going wrong. He's like, okay, it must have been the coffee, you know, something, or lack, lack thereof. And he, he comes back. He comes back. And symptom number three, envy makes us hostile. So not just an adversarial posture, but hostile toward those who've never harmed us. He's not just thinking aggressively now, he's acting aggressively. The envy has turned into resentment and resentment has turned into revenge. And now he's throwing spears at David. His anger has turned to, to violence. And, and here's the thing, people who get this envious, they always have two camps. There's the victims and there's the villains. And we're always, if we're an envious, we're always the victims. And there's got to be villains. In every scenario, there's got to be villains. Listen, we do this all the time in America. I can't wait for all those political ads to come out this fall to find out that the other side, whoever the other side is, they're all from the devil. You know, because that's, that's what we do, right? Because there's only victims and villains. There, there's, no, there's no normal people who are trying to do the best they can with what they believe. But it's just victims. And Saul is playing this game good and bad, right and wrong, from God, from the devil, you know. I just, we, we have to play this game when we're envious or when we don't like what others are doing. Like, we never, we never play things like that these days. I mean, back then, Saul would put him in impossible scenarios over and over and over again. They, he, was, he was going from the place where he was passively aggressive. Hey, let's put David in an impossible battle to finally at the end, he gets really aggressive and just says to his, his army, go, go kill David, just kill him. He sends the army after him for 10 years. He's running around the desert, hiding in caves and stuff like that because Saul's trying to kill him. And David, David has nothing against Saul. You're like, that never happens today, does it? Well, we see flashes of it, don't we? I mean, think back to 1994. Some of you are not old enough to remember this, but if I said the name Nancy Kerrigan, <laughs> would anyone know that name? Nancy was an ice skater on the U.S. Olympic team. She was America's sweetheart. And the number two ice skater was a, was a girl named Tanya Harding. I, Tanya. Tanya Harding. And right before the Olympics, Nancy Kerrigan gets attacked. Someone comes up with a mask on and, and hits her with a police baton in her knee, trying to take her out. And, and it turns out, it turns out it's Tanya Harding's ex-husband. Tries to, tries to take her out of the competition. You know what that is? It's, it's envy. Well, I, I would never do that to somebody. I would never kill anybody. But, okay, but you may not kill anybody, but how about character assassination? 
Would you, would you, ever, would you ever do that? Co- coworker gets, gets a promotion and you don't, you think, must be sleeping with a boss. The neighbor has a nicer yard, nicer house than you, and, and you're like, well, they're never home to enjoy it. They work too much. Or the neighbor has something nicer than you, and you're like, well, if they gave as generously to the church and to God as I did, you know, they wouldn't be able to live that way. That's envy. Anyone guilty? Only three of you. Anyone guilty? Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. We all have that problem in our, in our lives. Listen, it's verbal violence. It's character assassination. We, when we it try to make ourselves feel better, but it doesn't really, does it? It doesn't really work. And yet we try that tactic. It goes on and says in the passage, so Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Now we see the real reason. Listen, God's with him and not with me. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And and David led the troops in their campaigns and everything he did. He had great success because the Lord was with him. This is crazy. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Twice the word afraid is there. Symptom number four, envy fills us with fear. It fills us with with fear. He goes from being angry to being afraid. In fact, David used to play the harp for him and and settle him down. He's like, I can't even look at David. He sends him off. Just, Just go. Get, get out of here. He puts him in all these campaigns where he could possibly lose and lose his life and stuff like that. But everywhere he went, the Lord was with him. And it just drove Saul crazy. He hated David. He was afraid of David. His life was, was filled with, with, with fear. Listen, his, his emotions were so strong. L- write this down. When, when emotions get in motion, they cause commotion. When emotions get in motion, they cause commotion. Now, a friend of mine says it this way. I love what he says. He, he says, our, our lives always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And the strongest thoughts in Saul's life are, are envious ones. I wish I was David. I wish I had God, had, had God favor. I wish I was like him. I wish this, I wish that. And, and his whole life is going to pop because he, envy is rotting his bones. It's rotting everything in his life because he, he can't get over this envy of another person. He's full, David is fully devoted to him. David honors him. Even when he's chasing him around in the desert, David has opportunity to kill him. He doesn't do it because David just doesn't have that. He's trying to live his own life, not trying to live someone else's life. Saul's envy enraged him. His jealousy blinded him. He was going, his comparison made him crazy. He was reeling with resentment. And the worst thing was this, that while, while Saul's emotions grew, his God diminished. His God shrunk. And I'll talk about this in a minute, but if something's happening in the heart of someone who's envious, something's happening in your heart, in your relationship with God. Whether you realize or not, if you're envious, something's happening in your heart with God. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. You'd be surprised what happens there. God is not big enough for Saul. He's not big enough to bless David and, and Saul. Now, I wish this story had a better ending. I wish there was something better going on here. But the fact is, Saul never gets over his envy. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And for 10 years, he's chasing David around the desert and he never catches him. 
He, he's trying to hold on to everything he has and he loses it all. He, he loses his favor. He loses his favor with God and with people. He loses his kingdom. He even loses his life. All because he couldn't fight envy. Envy rots the bones. It makes us unsettled, suspicious, and angry. It misreads intentions and actions and motives. It gives us a critical spirit that results in chaos and destruction. Envy wastes time and energy and emotion. It divides hearts, distances people, destroys lives. And you're saying, I'm so glad Jared brought this guy in. He's such a, he's such a happy person, you know? <laughs> now, let's get on the solution side of this because it doesn't have to be that way with us. God is bigger than that. We can overcome these things. So, so how do I rid myself of envy. What do I do about envy? How do I fight envy? What, what do I do? Number one, feed contentment. Feed contentment. You're like, feed? Well, that's kind of a strange word, isn't it? Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Um, envy is an appetite. There are a whole lot of things in the Bible that are, that are appetites. Greed is an appetite. When you feed greed, it gets bigger. Lust is an appetite. When you feed lust, it gets bigger. Pride is an appetite. When you feed pride, bring it on. Tell me how great I am. It, it just gets bigger. Envy is an appetite like that. You feed it, it just gets, it just gets bigger. And so I don't want you to, to feed envy. I want you to feed, feed contentment because uh, what you breed is what you, what you feed. Or what you feed is what you breed. Excuse me, what you feed is what you breed. Whatever you feed, it's going to get bigger. It's going to multiply. And so I'm going to ask you to, to feed contentment. The Apostle Paul had a good, a good uh, um, sense of this. Paul had everything, by the way. He was, uh, he was a religious leader in, uh, in Israel. He had lots of money. He had lots of things, all that sort of stuff. And now he's writing from jail in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've, I've lived the life. The lifestyles of the rich and famous back from the 1980s. Yeah, like, Robin Leach was his buddy, all right? So that's for the old people in the room. All right, so... He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. He says, I've, I've done both those things. I've done all those things. I've experienced everything. But, I, but I've learned in the midst of that, I can still be content. Here, here's the key. He says, I, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. See, we love to take that last verse and pull it out and, and use it in our weightlifting. I can do all things, you know. We can do all, but, but this is about contentment. This is about a, a posture of the heart. Listen, no matter what's happening around me, I believe that God is doing something in me and he's for me and he loves me. Amen. See, I, I, can, I can learn to be content. So I wanna ask you to, to actually apply some things real quick. And I'm just gonna ask everyone in the room, will you agree to do what I'm just about to ask you to do? Just say yes. yes. Okay, you can't lie in church, all right? So now you gotta do it. So, so here's what I ask you to do. What, figure out that thing that's feeding your, your envy. For most of you, it's gonna be social media, it's gonna be Amazon, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be something you watch on TV, one of those fixes. And, and I, want you to, I want you to fast it, F-A-S-T. I want you to fast it. For social media, fast it for a week. Just choose a week in October, you're just not gonna look at social media. That includes LinkedIn, that includes uh, Twitter, it includes Instagram, it includes TikTok, it includes, includes Facebook, old people. Only old people use Facebook. It includes Facebook, all right? You're welcome, I'm old, I use Facebook. So, um, but I'm just gonna tell you, it, it, that's feeding your envy. It, it just, imagine what a week would look like without seeing what someone else is doing, saying, man, I wish I was them. So I want you to, I want you to fast social, social media, 
uh, because awareness breeds discontent. And, and I just want you to fast social media. I want you to feast on the word of God. So don't just, don't just get rid of it. Instead, in those times you feel like going into, into the, the social media, instead open God's, God's word. In fact, let me give you some passages. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Psalm 103, and Psalm 139. Ephesians 1, Psalm 103, Psalm 139. And just when you feel like going to social media, go to those and begin to write down the blessings of God from those passages. Just write down all the things. Because here's the thing. Uh, gratefulness, gratefulness is the, is the solution. Gratefulness is the cure for envy. When we're focused on what we have, we're not focused on what we don't have. And whatever you focus on is what you'll move toward. And if you see all the blessings of God in your life and the gratefulness for God, then, then you won't be focused on what you don't have. You'll focus on what God has done. You'll, you'll feel better. Yes. You'll feel better, I promise you. Let's, let's try to do that in our lives. Contentment is a choice to be grateful for what you have and who you are. Now, let me, let me say this real, real quick. Here, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing, okay? Envy is based out of identity. And envy is the result of insecurity in our identity. We don't think we have enough and some of us don't think we are enough. And we're envious because we're not, we're not satisfied. We, we actually think that God owes us. He owes us a better life. He owes us a better nose. He owes us a better body. He owes us a better health. He owes us a better husband or wife. He owes us a better family. He owes us a better situation. God owes me. And whether you realize it or not, it's actually shrinking your God. You feed contentment when you see the blessings of God. You see how big he is, how strong he is. And listen, he was faithful then, he's faithful now, and I'm confident he'll be faithful in the future. S second point, celebrate God's blessing of others. Celebrate God's blessing of others. It says this in Romans 15, 5, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other that, in, that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us encouragement. He gives us endurance. And God is a generous to God. He doesn't want to just do something in us. He wants to do something through us. He wants to use us and other people's lives. And so we have to learn to bless our neighbor. Amen. We have to learn to bless them. When, when they get the raise, we celebrate the raise. When they, their kid does well in sports, you celebrate their kid's ability in sports. When, when they get favor wherever it is, we celebrate that. You're like, I, I don't think I want to do that. I'm not sure I, I, want, to, I want to do that. Well, here, here's the thing. I have a friend. His name is John Jenkins. Uh, he's a pastor. He's, he's at a small, struggling church, about 12,000 up in Washington, D.C. He might make it. I don't know. Uh, I was talking to him about it one day. He's like, well, here's what I say. And he said, listen, uh, don't be mad when God blesses your neighbor. Don't be mad when God blesses your neighbor and they have a nice house, they have a nice car, they have a lovely family, they have all this, all, the, all these things you want. Don't, don't be mad at God. C celebrate it. Yes. Celebrate what happens in your neighbor. Because you know what? If God blesses your neighbor, that means that God is in the neighborhood. Amen. And you might be next. Okay, one, one last story before I go. When I was in college, I had an arch nemesis. His name was Sam. And Sam was another Bible study leader. In a, I was in, a, I was in a, a, a church group. Can you believe it? But I had an arch nemesis, another believer. He was so smart. I hated him. He could, he could defend his faith so well. I just, oh, I just hate this guy. And I, I just decided I was just not going to like this guy because he was smarter than me. And he was just, he was just so quick. And I just, I was insecure. And I had a mentor of mine who said, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the right way. You need to bless and not curse. And why don't you pray blessing over his life? I'm like, yeah, right. 
no, no, I, I want you to do this. And I'm like, I'm not. And, and part of the story was this, is that I was dating a girl named Carol and Carol and I could tell we weren't gonna get married, but I wasn't even gonna break up with Carol. You know why? Because Sam liked her. <laughs> and I was not gonna give him the satisfaction of having both this, being smart and, and having this, this nice girl he's dating. I wasn't gonna do this. Ah. But I began to grow in my faith and I realized, okay, this is eating me alive. He doesn't even know what's going on, but it's eating me alive. It rots the bones. And so I began praying for Sam. I began praying for his ministry and for his success and for his blessing. You know what happened? His ministry grew like crazy. And I celebrated it. And my mentor was telling me to be generous. And one day I walked into a meeting with Sam and Sam had a shirt on. We're college students and he had a, a pocket that was torn off. I'm like, what's that all about? He said, well, we had a, a pocket war in my, in my dorm. We all pour, ripped each other's pockets off. I lost. And my roommate had told me, he said, hey, listen, uh, you have two nice shirts. Sam has none. What do you think you should do? I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, yeah. Yeah, if you want to win this battle of envy, this is the way to do it. And so I went to Sam and said, hey, man, I got... I got another shirt, you want it? He's like, bro, I love that. That's what we said back in the 80s, bro. <laughs> Gave him the shirt. <laughs> and God dealt with the envy in my heart. It took a little while, but after a year or so, I was like, no, I, I can celebrate him because God is also blessing me. Now, here's the best part of the story. Carol and I decided we're not gonna date anymore. And sure enough, the next week, Sam and Carol were dating. <laughs> I knew it. But the other part of the story you didn't know, Sam was dating someone too. Her name was Lisa. <laughs> Sam married Carol. I married Lisa. <laughs> when God blesses your neighbor. Don't you get upset about it. Don't be envious about it. You can do this because it means God is in the neighborhood. He could bless you next. Listen, you can do this. You can do this. Trust God. Believe that he's bigger. Believe that he can bless. There's no scarcity. God has the ability to bless you and you and you and you and you to bless all of us. He's bigger than those things. We have a God who loves us who says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, you'll, you'll never find your identity in accomplishment an accumulation. You'll only find it in Jesus. And let him fill your soul. Envy rots the bone, but, but Jesus gives us life, life that's abundant and full. I wish that for you. Will you pray with me? Amen. Father in heaven, you're so good. You're so powerful. You're so wise. We don't want to be like Saul. We, we want to be people who are content in every circumstance, people who, who endure and encourage, people who are online and in line with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want those lives that are full and abundant. And this envy thing, it's just not worth it. So God, help us to give that up and to give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, can we thank Pastor Scott for that incredible message today? It's awesome. So good. Hey, if you're looking to take a next step around here, maybe something in that message stirred something inside of you, maybe God's speaking to you. Um, if you're looking what's next, we have a thing here called the growth track. It's a two-step process that will help you know God, find a friend, discover your purpose so you can make a difference. Uh, right after this service is over, if you go to our lobby, our growth track room, our team, our staff will be there to answer all the questions that you have. And today you can take your next step 
um, right here at One Life Church. We'd love for you to do that. Um, and we're going to send you out in just a moment. And as we send you out, um, church, it's time right now to worship the Lord through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Aren't you excited to do that? I know you are. However you give in the boxes in the back, online. Thank you for your amazing and your continued generosity. Um, one more thing just to kind of mention to you. These are, these are in your worship guide, these little blue cards called Find Friends. Next Sunday morning, uh, we officially begin our fall semester of groups, life, life groups here at One Life Church. Um, if you, you know you need to be in a group. We've talked about community a lot the last month. As soon as the service is over, if you go to our lobby, you'll see the balloons. Our team will be there to answer all the questions that you have. We'd love to get you plugged into a life group. Over 60 life groups um, here, East Campus, um, all over for you to get plugged into to find a friend. That's our prayer. All of us would be in a life group this fall semester. So scan the QR code on the back, the whole directory, the list. Um, easy way to get connected here at One Life Church. Um, I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet all over the room. We wanna send you out today and, and pray a blessing over you. If you do need prayer for any reason, our prayer team will be down front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. If you're a guest in the room today, my wife and I will be down front for just a moment. We'd love to shake your hand and welcome you today to One Life Church. Um, and if you would, here's the thing. Tomorrow, Pastor Scott and I, we get to hike the Grand Canyon rim to rim. We're going to do that together. So if you're... Um, you are the praying type because you're in church. So tomorrow, just be praying for us, right? Like God, get them get out of that hole in, in, Jesus, in, in Jesus' name. Um, let me pray over you guys and then you're dismissed. God, I thank you for the amazing people of One Life Church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for this incredible message today that we heard. So practical of how we can bless um, those in our life. We can celebrate the wins of other people. God, go before us in this. Make the hard things easy. And I do pray for courage. We do have what it takes to be able to do this. I pray that the people of God, that will apply the word of God to our life. And now I pray that we'll have the best Sunday we've ever had. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I love you. Keep coming back. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.